0: future a people. If you got your handout with you this morning, there's a white insert that includes our scripture for today. If you got your Bibles, it's always a good idea, either digital or otherwise, to get them out and uh, look at 1 Thessalonians, this book in the Bible we've been cruising through, and the very things we've been speaking of this morning where we're asking God what he's been up to, and we're celebrating the freedom that we have in him. Uh, Today, We're specifically going to talk about what happens when God gets a person, gets a hold of a person, and fills them up to overflowing with his hope. What happens when God gets a hold of a person, fills them up to overflowing, and they gush out all over everybody? What happens when hope is so resonant in someone's life that they can't help but affect and infect everybody else around them? That's the passage today we're seeing how God used an amazing man who was totally against Jesus turned around and came in direction of ministry and his passion for Jesus his hope in the gospel affected everybody he was around and became models, became a model for us as Christians how can we become those who also uh, invade others with hope you know, our world needs big doses of hope today. Our world is crying for hope beyond today. You know, the world is spinning down. As the world spins down and our lives progress, God calls on each of us to think higher than this life. I, I solicit a prayer request for you this morning just hearing of my little sister, Linda, who's in Virginia right now, and we don't know what happened, but she had some kind of a seizure or something, and now she's on life support. And we're uncertain about her future, about what's going on. And obviously someone that close, and you have them too, causes us to think about the brevity and fragile nature of life, doesn't it? What do you do? She's a believer, she loves the Lord. There's there's hope because of that. You know? But it does cause all of us to think above and beyond because there are tons of people who have no hope. The Bible says when someone dies, it's a believer. We grieve, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. You know? We know there's something beyond. What happens when we become so uh, filled with that kind of hope that everybody around us us begins to hear and sense? What happens when someone's testimony like Brad's begins to foster and someone who doesn't have hope says, hey, maybe God's got freedom for me. Maybe God's got a plan for me to be unshackled, unburdened by something. That's where the bragging on God (laughs) helps. That's where the infectious nature of hope comes in. So I want to take this, my favorite passage, one of my greatest all-time passages from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, verses 1 through 10. It's an amazing passage. I'm only going to scratch the surface today because we want to get through all 10 verses. But you'll see this powerful influence of hope in someone's life. I've called it finding hope, when hope fills God's leaders. You know, when hope fills God's leaders, it infects the entire body of Christ, the community in which they live, and eventually the world in which they, they live. Well, let's break this down, and I'll just um, start with the first verse, the first sentence. Is that okay? It's a super easy one. It's just a portion of a phrase. It says this, You know, brothers that our visit to you was not a failure. One version says, the King James says, was not in vain. Have you heard that one before? Was not in vain. One version says, it wasn't a flop. (laughs) So what, what do you suppose Paul is so interested in this being a success? Well, when hope fills your heart, you want to see fruit from that. You want to see other people brought into that hope. I call it the fruit of evangelism. Jot that down. Your first uh, kind of sense there is it, it produces fruit in someone's life. The fruit of evangelism. See, when God fills your life with hope, you can't keep your mouth shut. <laughs> There's this sense in which you want to share with others. Psalm says it this way. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless God watches over the city and guards the city, the watchman guards in vain. That's the idea. Unless the Lord's involved, we're in trouble. When the Lord's involved, it's not a failure. It'll never be a failure. When it's God's work done God's way with God's people and God's word, guess what you have? God's fruit. It's called evangelism. People hearing the message of hope in their life. That's what happened as Paul went to this new city, a city in Greece now. We call it Thessalonica or Thessaloniki. It's the the church where we get the letter first and second Thessalonians. Paul wrote to them from another city called Corinth. And he's got this this idea of prevailing fruit. He wants to see some success and he wants to see people that have uh, the gospel uh, shared in their lives. He wants them to know the gospel of Jesus and see these evangelistic fruit. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of god so here's paul going from the to to the synagogue he's going from group to group just talking about and sharing with them about the message of jesus what is the hope we have in christ now he outlines it in first corinthians he says this is the gospel the life death burial resurrection and ascension of jesus in a nutshell That's the gospel. See, in the life of Jesus, we learn how to live our lives in the most productive way. That's good news. In the death of Jesus, we have the opportunity to have our sins totally cleansed, totally forgiven, obliterated. In the death burial of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, we see his victory over sin, and it proves that he was who he said he was. And in the ascension, we have the opportunity, because he says, I go away, and I'm coming back. That's the gospel. That's the gospel in a nutshell. The life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. He said, this is the good news. By the way, how are we doing at speaking out the word of God, the good news? Has our culture so quieted us, made us so shy? I don't know if I want to say anything. I might get judged. Well, look what happens to the Apostle Paul when he opens his mouth. He is successful, but it ain't easy. Okay? He has the fruit of evangelism because people come to love Jesus through the the word spoken, through the heart shared. Second part of this fruit is even more incredible. God doesn't just save people for the future. What that video was about earlier... He, he saves them for the right now. Mm-hmm. And he builds character into their lives. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Galatians 5, chapters 5, verses 22 through 23. For the fruit of the Spirit, some of you guys know this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This, this is the fruit of the Spirit that God produces in our lives. It's not just coming to Christ It's becoming like Christ. Are you catching that? Now, that's where hope is born. We don't just come to Christ and say, well, now I got my ticket punched to heaven. We come to Christ, have hope for the future, but we say, we've got hope for the now. We've got a life of fruit of the Spirit. It's visible, it's identifiable, and we can actually become fruit inspectors, inspecting our own lives, of course, that's where it starts. But even looking around, you can see when God is at work in someone's heart and in someone's life building character. In fact, the more persecution and hardship you go through, sometimes the more character you build. Things like James who said, count it all joy, one of the fruit of the Spirit, joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials and tribulations, knowing that the testing of your faith builds endurance. So we have this fruit of the Spirit, fruit of evangelism. One more, the fruit of discipleship. The fruit of discipleship. Evangelism is when someone comes to know the gospel, who Jesus is and what he was about. The Holy Spirit takes root in our lives and begins to change us to be like Jesus. Discipleship is when that's replicated, and you're not only bringing someone to know Jesus, You're helping them to bring someone else. Here's how the Apostle Paul said it. Apostle Paul said, Hey, buddy, Timothy, I want you to find some faithful men. We got Paul, Timothy, faithful men. He said, Don't stop there. Don't stop there. That's not discipleship yet. He said, I want you to find some faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Are you catching this? Paul... Timothy, faithful men who will be able to teach other faithful men. Then you get the replicate. Here's what Jesus said. Make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've told you, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus didn't just go say, preach. What did he say? Make disciples it's the fruit of discipleship that we're after See, here's the deal if we're after the fruit of discipleship you get the fruit of evangelism and the fruit of the spirit along the way you catching that so our goal really only needs to be that one commission that jesus gave us make disciples now we're going to help them come to christ we're going to help them grow in christ that's what it's all about what is that connect grow serve and go The go is all about uh, showing it to others and allowing. So one more thing about fruit. You guys might remember this. John 15. Jesus specifically told us to look for for fruit. Here's what he said. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. In fact, he didn't just say bear fruit. He said bear fruit. Much fruit. And he didn't just say, leave it there. He said, My father wants fruit that remains. So we want fruit. We want much fruit, but we want much fruit that remains. That means it prevails. That means it doesn't just exist for the moment, but lasts. That's what Paul's looking at. He's saying, My visit was not a failure when it comes to fruit, it wasn't in vain. It wasn't for no good reason. It was for a purpose, and uh, the Lord was at work. Paul, Paul seemed to be so excited, so eager. He said, when I meet the Lord, I don't want to have run my race in vain. He I want to run with purpose, not as someone beating the air but with a goal in mind. What's the goal? Get as many people, as many men, as many women, as many boys, as many girls as we can on their way with hope in their hearts like we've got. He didn't save us for our own good. He saved us for others' good. He saved us so that we could be part of his gospel teaching in the world. So I've got to ask you the question. Are you overflowing with his hope to such a degree that others around you are seeing your fruit Others around you are becoming fruitful. Others around you are bearing fruit. If not, it's a good day to start. If not, it's a great time to team up with someone else and become those hopeful, those that are bearing fruit. So they produce fruit. This is the tough one now. This is where the character gets built. Persevering. Persevering. This is when you say, when a person is so filled with God's hope that when opposition comes their way, they press right on through it. It doesn't slow them down. In fact, it pushes them forward. It, they persevere. Let's, let's just read this. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of what? strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery. We never used flattery nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our, witnesses, our witness. We were not looking for praise from people. Um, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. You see, when hope is in your heart, when you are filled with God's hope, you're going to press through challenges press through problems. You're going to press through constant opposition. In fact, that might be the the phrase for the moment. Hope presses through. Is that one good? You you could repeat that with me. Hope presses through. One more time. Hope presses through. That's the word for perseveres. It perseveres in spite of opposition. In fact, in spite of constant opposition opposition. Now, now, Paul brings up the city he was at before he went to this, church, to this spot. It's the church in Philippi. Where do we get the book? Philippians. It's where we get the book Philippians from. And in Acts chapter 16, you have this description of Paul going to Philippi, the place where this Philippian church gets planted. And it's an incredible story of constant Opposition. Everywhere Paul goes, he has opposition. Someone said, everywhere Paul goes, he gets thrown in jail. Everywhere I go, they say let's have tea. (laughs) You know, let's have a cup of coffee. What's up with that? You know? Different world we live in, right? So so he goes to Philippi and he starts at the place he often liked to start. Where are the spiritual people? Where's the low-hanging fruit in this community? Where can we begin to get some... And he heard about some ladies down on the riverbank. Down on the riverbank in Philippi, some ladies who used to gather for prayer. They didn't know anything about Jesus. They didn't know anything about Jesus. But they prayed all the time. Paul said, let's go. He met them on the river shore. He met them on the riverbank. And he began to tell them about Jesus. And the Bible says the Lord opened their hearts. One lady my wife's namesake, Lydia, the, d- the dealer in purple from Thyatira, a businesswoman, an independent businesswoman in that day and age, very unheard of. You know? God, the Bible says, opened her heart to what the apostle was teaching about Jesus. And she received Jesus on the spot. And some other ladies who were the prayer warriors of her day. And boom, the first Core group. The launching team for this church in Philippi was made up of some prayer ladies. (laughs) Most of you go, doesn't sound like a very strong team to plant a church. Well, catch the next. What happens? As Paul's dealing every day and kind of working through this city, there's a girl who's demon possessed. Literally, a girl who's demon possessed and has a prophetic gift, and the men who own her, she's a slave girl are making money from her projections. She's able to go and tell people prophecies, prophesying, and they're making money from her. And she's walking behind Paul every day saying, really true things. These men are from God. Listen to them. But Paul gets annoyed. I, I think Paul just does not want to be uh, united with a demonic force, even if they're for the moment telling the truth. He gets annoyed and he casts out the demon out of this woman. He heals her. Now you would think, everyone, he's got hope. He's now filled her with hope. Everyone's going to celebrate, right? You know who didn't celebrate? Her owners. Her slave owners. The ones who actually were making profit from her demonic possession. Their livelihood's gone. You know, Paul just broke them. You know? So they start a riot. They get everybody in the city coming against Paul, and they get him thrown into jail. While he's in jail, they come to the jailer. They say, we want this guy guarded and guarded well. In fact, guard him with your life. So they don't put him in jail. They put him in the inner jail of the inner jail. They put him way inside, and they put his, his feet in stocks, you know, like we taught, say stocks and bonds, not the kind of that are financial, but he's bound with this, it'd be like in handcuffs, but worse. So Paul and his buddy Silas are sitting in the jail in the inner, inner circle, inner, inner prison, midnight. They've already been beaten so bad their, black, their, their backs are bloodied. Their backs are raw. What are they doing? Singing praises to God. Now this is just camp out there for a minute. Beaten with rods, thrown in jail, incapacitated, What are they doing? Now, that's why I say, this guy was so filled with hope, he was gushing out. the, The jailer is listening to this hope coming from their singing and amazed at what he's hearing. God does a miracle, as big a miracle as you see. He has a miracle where the earthquake destroys the prison, but not any of the prisoners. That's kind of tough, isn't it? The jailer thinks that the prisoners have escaped. And because he was charged with his life, he's thinking he's a dead man. He'd rather kill himself than be killed by the uh, government officials. So he's ready to commit suicide. Before he commits suicide, Paul says, Hey, time out, time out. We're right here. Don't kill yourself. We stayed. What'd you stay for? (laughs) Like I tell you, People who are filled with hope do crazy, crazy things. He could have escaped, but he stayed. And here's the question the Philippian jailer asked, question that people are asking all around us if we're aware. He said, what must I do to be saved? All of a sudden, this miracle and Paul's open hope life was such a testimony to him, he's like, I want some of that. What do I have to do to get saved? What do I have to do to get that in my life? Wow. As this question took place, Paul began right there. He told him about the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. He preached to him. The Bible says Jesus. And he, came, he said, I want some of that. Can I receive Jesus? In fact, he got the torches out, went up to his house, Got the entire family and said, "Come on, you got to hear about this. Come on!" And he brought the whole family around so Paul could teach them all. In fact, it says that night, that very hour. First thing the prisoner guard did, prison guard did, he ministered to him. He washed their backs. He ministered to them, and then Paul, the Bible says, baptized them into Jesus. I mean, sometimes we think, well, you got to know a lot before you get baptized. No, you got to know Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose again, and Jesus ascended. That's the gospel, okay? He preached that in a few minutes, a few hours, we don't know how long, and that night, the Philippian jailer, his wife and family received Jesus. The, the hope in their lives began going up just like it was in Paul, just like it was in the others. So, so now you've got this core group of women on the shore that were prayer warriors, a demonic girl who's now got the demon cast out of her, and you've got, and you got a Philippian jailer and the family. What a core group, huh? Let's start a church. What do you think? You think they're going to get along? Huh? Really diverse, right? But that's the interesting thing. When God's involved, when hope is at its greatest, God builds people into each other's lives, and the differences don't matter. The Bible says, In Christ, therefore, there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. We are all one in Christ. Racial, economic differences disappear when it comes to the hope that God's given and fills us with. We become brothers and sisters with the most unlikely prospects. And you know what that does? Builds even more hope. Our world looks around and says, we can't get along. How do do you do it? Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the only way. It's the only way it works. And he gives us that opportunity. So constant opposition was, uh, was upon them. And you could see how this, this uh, preaching and prison was pressed out as, as hope pressed through in Philippi. Um, he also mentions that his motives were questioned. A- and you've got to persevere when people don't trust you. You've got to persevere when your motives are questioned. Anytime you're going to want others to have hope in their lives, your, your motives will be, will be questioned. In Paul's case, he said uh, this was the most important thing to him, that motives matter. See, a lot of our behaviors that we do, external behaviors, they can be doing the right thing for the wrong reason. And here he's saying, what I did was not springing from impure motives. He says the word for impurity there is, is pornea. It's the word we get, impure sexual motives. Because people were doing that in that day, just like they are now. Sexual trafficking was huge. Impure motives. He said, I wasn't doing anything for impure motives. He says, uh, nor was I trying to trick you. He so I wasn't trying to trick anybody. I was trying to be as open. as on, on the contrary, they spoke as those approved by God. So there was error, impure motives, trickery. And he says, I wasn't trying to please men, but please God. You see, if, if you're like me, it's easy to be a people person, a people pleaser. You know? Sometimes they blame that on the um, birth order. I'm a second born Second-borns like to please, you know. I don't know, if, maybe others do too, but I know from the second-born position, people-pleasing is a temptation. Here, Paul says, it wasn't about pleasing people. I wanted to please God. My deepest, most uh, powerful uh, motive was to please the Lord. So, let's say it this way: hope drives the motive. The hope that you have to resonate with others drives the motive. So hope presses through, but hope drives the motive. Let's repeat that together. Hope drives the motive. One more time. Hope drives the motive and motives, we would say. One more, leadership decisions. You see, that's what he's doing. He's making leadership decisions as he goes through this. He says, we never used flattery what's flattery do? It's one of those manipul- manipulative things. He says, I did not use flattery because it could be conceived of as manipulative. He says, I didn't wear a mask to cover up greed. You know, in this day and time in the world, um, they used to have one-man dramas. So they'd do a whole entire play with one or two people, and they would pop up different masks to play different parts. The mask had little handles on them. In fact, you know the, the two dramas uh, mask signs, the frowning face and the happy, that comes from this era and this time. In fact, in another book, the, the Apostle Paul says, take off your masks. You know, because people were doing that. Putting on masks to fake it. And Paul's saying, I did not Put on a mask around you. I tried to be as real and as sincere and as genuine as possible. That's a leadership decision. And what happens when someone's genuine genuine and realistic? The hope can't help but get out. People are, are drawn to that kind of authenticity. Hope makes tough Choices. He says, I did not want praise from men, but from the Lord. Well, so let's do one more. So it not only perseveres, but hope fosters relationships. You're like, okay, Bruce, you're on your favorite word again, relationships. Yep. Catch this. This is what I love about this passage. He digs deeply into three uh, similes, three areas of comparison where he says, I was like this, and you can be like this too. The first one, he says, instead we were like, that's that simile word, we were like young children. We were like young children among you. Let's pause. talk about that here in a moment. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, underline that, not only the gospel of God, but our lives, our own lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God, of how holy righteous and blameless, we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt very, with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting and urging you with lives, uh, to, to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So let's break this down into those three. The first one, he says, I was like a young child. Among you, what's, what's that all about? We, we, we tend to be like the disciples who kind of shooed the young children away and said, let's get to the adult stuff. Come on, let's get to the real important stuff. Remember what Jesus said? Don't you dare chase those children away. And then he looked at the adults and he said, if you don't become like them, you're never going to see the kingdom of God. He made them the object lesson and said, little kids are all about the right stuff. But what is it about little kids that you want to look at? What is it about little kids that Jesus was saying, unless you become as little children, you'll never see the kingdom? One thing, they're humble. They're humble. You know, they're open. Kids are open for the most part. In fact, we have to teach them to be protective. No, don't talk to strangers. You know, they're just open, right? Kids are. Uh, not only uh, open, they're vulnerable. Do you think Jesus is actually saying we've got to become vulnerable to to experience all that he has for us, to see the kingdom? Maybe so. Maybe that vulnerability, that openness and that humility is what... He kept using that phrase, become gentle. Gentle and humble. We have that opportunity. In... uh, the passages that talk about leadership, they use the word humble and gentle over and over and over again. If you're going to be an elder in the church, you've got to be humble and gentle like a child. If you're going to be a leader, you've got to be like a child. Be open. That way kids are always looking for new things. Kids are always open. took my two uh, grandsons... My two local grandsons, to the monster trucks on Friday up in Puyallup at the state fair or the uh, fairgrounds. Four and a half year old and a six and a half year old. We had earmuffs, we had ear, you know, we had ear protection. Because these monster trucks are loud. And I was amazed at this little four and a half year old Brody as he's marching along. He's telling everybody, he's telling strangers, we're gonna see the monster trucks. <laughs> gonna, he doesn't even you know, I've, I've shown him on the, on the videos. He has no clue what he's in for, right? But he's going to see the monster trucks, and he's, he's like, you want to come? You want to come? Well, you can come see the monster trucks. My grandpa will pay, buy you a ticket. You know? <laughs> Thanks, kid, you know? Kids are just so open, right? What if we were like little children in that kind of openness? Now, 20 minutes into it, he wanted to leave. You know, he's like... I've seen it now. Okay, let's go. <laughs> and his six-year-old, six and a half-year-old brother wanted to stay. So yeah, there's a little bit of a tension there, you know. But, but, but kids, there's 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 negative sides to being kids, right? But Jesus is pointing out, and Paul's pointing out here, I was like a young child among you, and I think he's pointing out this openness. So I got to ask you, are you an old fuddy-duddy, or are you a young child? when it comes to how you relate to people how you relate to how open are you to what god wants to do in and through your relationships let me just ask you you know i'm not trying to be mean or anything but who in the last month have you fostered a new relationship with who in the last year can you say have entered your spiritual orbit you know what i'm talking about there they have been revolving around your life, and and who is it that God may be calling you to be so open as a young child where they now are hearing the great hope that you have and are transferring that to them? That's God's goal, (laughs) that we would become like little children and share incessantly his hope with others. Wow. If you don't have new people entering your orbit, I'm not saying to... Cross off the old friendships. Build some new ones. Open yourself up. We have strategies here at the church where we specifically build common ground for you if you don't have people entering your orbit. That's what our dog park and our community garden are really all about. Take an hour on a Saturday. (laughs) Spend some time. Build relationships. Build new people into your life. That's what our home groups are for. Build new new, new uh, op- options. Well, the two my two favorite are still yet to come. Nursing mother. Paul is so secure in his own manliness, his own uh, male identity. He can call himself a nursing mom. You know, a lot of guys would have trouble with that. He says, "I." was like a nursing mom to you. What's that mean? Well, what's a nursing mom do? She serves. She provides life. She takes time. There's giving, there's energy, there's giving self. I mean, that's the most like agape love that we have to illustrate agape love. Agape love is it's, uh, selfless, sacrificial, right? Agape love is unconditional right? It's eternal. You have those qualities in a mother's love. It's like, only a mother could love a face like that. No, no. (laughs) No. A nursing mom. Kelly and Ruth, what you got going on in your family? This last week, a brand new granddaughter, granddaughter, baby girl. Josh and Amanda had their baby this week. Last, Last Friday, wasn't it? Yeah. Praise God. You know about nursing moms because you have all experienced it. He says, that's the way to look at yourself relationally with other people in your life. Who is it that you're loving to that degree? Who is it that you're drawing close and pulling to yourself in a self-sacrificing way? Mothers are so known for giving that we sometimes think they are just laborers for the family, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. I remember one. (laughs) Yeah. I remember one little, uh, sorry, there there's a little boy going through the pictures with the family and they were looking at the, the wedding pictures and the honeymoon pictures. And, and so he pulls up a wedding picture and he says, hey, dad, was this when mom came to work for us? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, but why do you have to say it like that? Yeah, of course, you know? Yeah, because moms just give and pour out and work and serve and love. They nurture and nurse. They're, just, they're, they're driven by this desire to nurture and to give. Well, I know we're out of time, but one last one. One last one, because he doesn't leave it as a young child or a nursing mom. The, the last one's my favorite. An encouraging dad. An encouraging father. In fact, here's what he says. It, it, it's as if he's a, a coach. He says, I'm urging you on in your spiritual life life. He says, as a father deals with his own children. See, back then, the fathers were responsible for the education and especially the spiritual development of the children. It wasn't, well, the moms will take care of that. Yeah, the moms should all be Sunday school teachers. If the moms could, No, it was a dad thing. Dads saw themselves as, I'm responsible for education and for spiritual development of my kids. And here he's saying, as a father deals with his own Children, so I dealt with you. And he says, number one, I was encouraging. Look at verse 12. Encouraging. Now, let me ask you how much you're... You know what encourage means, right? To build courage in a person. First of all, parents, are you building courage in your kids? That's what it's about. Friends, loved ones, are you building courage in other people? Let me, speak to, um, let me speak to childless couples for a minute. If you don't have kids in your house right now, oh, man, you've got a great opportunity. You have the best opportunity. Don't look at it as, well, now my nest is empty, so I'm free. What if you saw it and said, I've got more love to give. I can be a spiritual mentor, a spiritual father I can pour my life into someone who may not be my biological child. These weren't Paul's biological children, but he said, like an encouraging father, I poured my life into you. Yep. No? What if you took that on as well? Some of you with kids, you got friends and loved ones and neighbors that are practically handing their kids off to you. Yep. Yeah, Can you take those kids and encourage them like it says here, Paul did encouraging, comforting. Now, there'll be times when you have to comfort. Encouraging and comforting go together. You build courage and you build compassion. That's the comforting. Third one, he says, urging. Oh, what a great word. Urging you to live lives worthy of God. I think of the word for coach here. Coaches. (laughs) He's coaching them, saying, come on, you can do it. Instead of saying Go do it. He's saying, Come on, let's do it. That's the urging. Come on, we can do this. Come on, let's get on the track of filling up with God's hope to such a degree that it pours over into everyone else's life. And as God does that, <laughs> He gives us the strength, the mercy we need, the encouragement from examples like this, the blessing that he promises, like young children, like nursing mothers, and like encouraging dads. You may not have had an encouraging dad. You may not have had a nurturing mom. Now's the time to reverse that. Now's the time to change that. And some choices you and I make on an everyday basis will allow us to do that. So hope causes us to persevere. Hope causes us to produce fruit. Hope causes us to foster healthy relationships with others. So examine what God's calling you to do as we build on filled hope in our lives. Think about choices and the um, road less traveled.